You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Business email compromise exploits legitimate services. A hacktivist ransomware group demands charity donations for encrypted files. Trends and threats in API protection. The effects of hacktivism on Russia's war against Ukraine. Executive digital protection. Deepin Desai from Zscaler explains security risks in OneNote. Our guest, Ajay Bhatia of Veritas Technologies, with advice for onboarding new employees. And news organizations as attractive targets. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Thursday, May 18th, 2023. Avanon reported this morning that a business email compromise campaign is abusing legitimate Dropbox services. BEC 3.0 is a social engineering approach that takes advantage of legitimate services to gain entry to its targets. This campaign, in particular, works by sharing a fake resume through Dropbox and leading victims to a false login link to open the document. If the user shares their credentials... They will also be led to a malicious link that could further compromise their system. A new ransomware group has been seen operating in the name of the less fortunate, or at least it says that's what it's doing. The hacktivist group encrypts files on its victims' computers and demands the company affected donate to a charity group of its choosing to receive the decryption key. Bleeping Computer reports that the ransomware operation Malice Locker began encrypting Zimbra servers toward the end of March 2023. Victims reported in both the Bleeping Computer and Zimbra forums that their emails were encrypted. Mollus Locker posted its manifesto on its dark web leak site, in which the group states that they are waging war on the rich to promote equality. Their motto, it seems, as reported by Bleeping Computer, roughly translated to English, says, We are bad. We can be worse. One simple question that comes to mind is, how are the hackers verifying that the companies donated? 
Simply put, Malice Locker doesn't have a verification method. On their website, they write, We have no real guarantees they are actually sending the money. Malice Locker hasn't yet been associated with any larger organizations, and the methods they use to obtain access to their targets remain a mystery. And it's unclear what charities, if any, might actually want to be the beneficiaries of such campaigns. Sequence Security released its API protection report for the second half of 2022. The report highlights the tactics, techniques, and procedures of malicious actors targeting APIs. Shadow APIs, defined by the researchers as unmanaged, unknown, and unprotected APIs, saw a 900% increase from the first half of 2022 to the second. Unique TTPs saw a 550% increase over the holidays. Additionally, researchers observed a 220% increase in API security over traditional application security tactics in the same period. Traceable AI also discussed the state of API security in a report this morning prepared at this year's RSA conference. API security remains a major point of concern as researchers say they determined that 40% of companies do not have dedicated professionals or teams for API security, while 23% of respondents do not know if there is dedicated API security in their organization. Many respondents, 66%, report struggles with API sprawl, or in some cases don't know if their company is adequately managing it. Hacktivism may be the most influential propaganda method in the era of the hybrid war. A study published this morning by the Center for Strategic and International Studies addresses various aspects of the war in cyberspace. One of the report's essays looks at the use of proxies, that is, deniable hacktivist or criminal groups that serve as cyber auxiliaries under the direction of state authorities. That direction can be relatively loose or relatively stringent. The essay takes two representative groups, the IT Army of Ukraine, who operates in the interest of Kyiv, and Kilnet, who works under Moscow. It sees similarities in the effects they've achieved and concludes that the proxies have had the most significant effect in terms of propaganda. The proxies' records, the study concludes, suggest that they're best understood as influence operations. Cybersecurity company Agency has released an executive digital protection white paper discussing the protections of high-value assets and targets within an organization. Securing the digital lives of executives, or executive digital protection, as Agency calls it, is increasingly being observed as part of the cybersecurity strategy within organizations to fight against employee-targeted digital risks. The white paper emphasizes that there are other individuals within organizations who may not be executives, but who may fill a public-facing high-risk role or work within an executive's inner circle. These, too, may require protection. The report also advises a program broadly addressing protection rather than honing in on specific narrow risks. For an effective solution, agency recommends focusing on options that balance breadth, value, privacy, and specialization. And finally, the Philadelphia Inquirer was hit by a cyber attack last week that interrupted its news publications, and the paper has continued its investigation and recovery since then. The Inquirer wrote that it had been unable to print its regular Sunday newspaper 
and it was not clear until late Sunday afternoon that it would be possible to print Monday's editions of The Inquirer and Daily News. Online stories were said to continue, though sometimes at a slower pace than usual. The paper reported that employees would be barred from entering its main office, which could impact the paper's coverage of the Democratic primary for the mayoral race. Coming up after the break, Deepan Desai from Zscaler explains security risks in OneNote. Our guest is Ajay Bhatia of Veritas Technologies with advice for onboarding new employees. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Onboarding new employees often involves a lot of moving pieces with information gathered, policies put in place, access granted, and so on. Ajay Bhatia is general manager for data compliance and governance at Veritas Technologies. I spoke with him about best practices for how companies can ensure data protection and compliance while navigating the challenges of onboarding new employees. We've kind of seen multiple phases here in quick succession, which is the great resignation, you know, the great hiring, the great firing, the quiet quitting. With the quick employee turnover fueled by these phenomena and the rise of a new workplace culture, 
companies are hiring and onboarding new employees at a very rapid pace. You know, we must find a way to quickly and efficiently onboard new hires. But unfortunately, you know, sometimes this means many essential trainings, uh, policy reviews, and um, new employee guidelines can sometimes slip through the cracks. Can we go through some of the things that, that folks typically have to work through here? I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I can think of, obviously, you're setting up an email address for someone, for most people, you know, that, that sort of thing. What, what other things are typically on that list? Yes. So I think one of the few things is ensuring that new and existing employees are aware of the uh, complicated risk landscape, because after the pandemic, we've got a remote workforce uh, that further complicates uh, the ability for organizations to be able to uh, track where their data is and also be able to respond to active threats, uh, such as ransom attacks and phishing that are now targeting the entire workplace data. And so getting a good handle on that is uh, essential to avoiding expensive and detrimental complications. So beyond you know, setting up email, welcoming the employee, I think some of the best practices for how companies can ensure protection of their data, and also compliance on the data when onboarding um, new, new employees, I would say it's in a couple of buckets. One is to implement mandatory trainings to be completed within the first you know, two months of employment, ensuring that all receive the necessary information on the potential you know, risks and strategies that bad actors use to implement phishing attacks and how these attacks can lead to various outcomes, such as non-compliance penalties uh, and some complications in the way we manage data. The second, uh, I would say, best practice is set usage guidelines on the collaboration tools. So we found out that, you know, more than 70% of office workers globally admit to sharing, you know, sensitive and business-critical company data using IM, business collaboration tools, Teams, Zoom, uh, and other sources of content generation. And I think it's essential that you know, companies set information sharing policies that account for those kind of tools, and even the new ones like chatbots, to combat new risks. You know, we often hear of uh, this notion of shadow IT, where, you know, if people don't have the tools they think they need to get the job done, they'll find a workaround it strikes me that that could be a component here, that part of this is educating your employees that if they need to be able to do something and they feel like there's a roadblock there, they, they need a pathway to be able to sort that out without taking matters into their own hands. I, I fully agree there, Dave, because at the end of the day, for any company, it comes down to managing data and assets in a manner that increases the value of the data, but reduces the risk quotient. Because if companies don't do that, then some of the evolving changes in regulation, as well as uh, the problems posed with the shadow IT situation, can be a challenge to profitability uh, in years to come. Because we need to closely monitor how employees handle and share and store different types of data. Some of it could be what we call as personally identifiable information, or PII, uh, health, financial, and proprietary information. All of these uh, need to be able to managed in a way that we ensure compliance also with data privacy regulations, not just in the United States, but across the globe if the company is a multinational. So I think IT professionals feel that additional pressure on their workload to keep up with this. 
we can somehow implement three tactics to gain visibility, that would definitely set up any organization for long-term success. And then some of these are done with AI and ML ops at scale. Uh, I would say the three tactics I would nominate are, number one, identifying and categorizing dark data. So, you know, on average, more than half of a company's data is dark. And aside from, you know, costing above, I would say, 30 to $40 million a year just in the storage burden, this dark data poses significant risk to our compliance efforts, especially when it's hiding in an image, audio, or video generated by some of the newer collaboration tools. And, and how do you define dark data? So dark data can be something that we have no clue what it is. We've consumed it. It shows up in a storage envelope. There could be immense value in it, or there could be immense risk in it. It's data that is not classified. It is data that is not transcribed. It's data that is not enriched with any other metadata tags on it to exactly say what it is, whether it is relevant and active, whether it is irrelevant and active, whether it's irrelevant and inactive, or whether it's redundant, obsolete, and trivial, or rot, like we call it. So it's data that has not been processed. It's sitting there, and um, like I said, it could be a value or a risk. Most often than not, it ends up being a risk factor for most companies. Hmm. And so what are the other elements that you were uh, discussing? I would say beyond uh, identifying and categorizing dark data, the second one is uh, automating a classification system. So we just talked about the need to classify a lot, all of this data. And you know, as, as humanity, we're producing data at a rate of more than 500 exabytes per day, um, according to some of the IDC reports. And so to appropriately manage and categorize all of this data, companies that they collect and generate, they need to implement automation so that it can be managed through its life cycle of capturing it, uh, classifying it, contextualizing it, and then being able to decide whether you want to back it up, archive it, uh, use it for monitoring uh, your your utilization, as well as in any litigation support eventually. The third aspect, because now it's so ubiquitous, then you have to democratize the data classification, which means it's not just an IT or legal team responsibility. Any part of a business can be at risk of failing to comply. And so individuals outside of the IT team should be able to classify their own content. So those, those would be my uh, three areas, Dave, identifying and categorizing the dark data, automating the classification system, and then democratizing the data classification. That's Ajay Bhatia from Veritas Technologies. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Deepin Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepin, always a pleasure to welcome you back. Uh, I know you and your colleagues have had an eye on OneNote lately and uh, the potential here for it to play a part in malware distribution. What exactly are you all tracking here? Thank you, Dave. Yes, so OneNote documents... Um we're starting to see more and more threat actor groups um, referring to malware families uh, starting to leverage OneNote documents to distribute malware, right? So they're, they're abusing the fact that you're able to execute 
several scripting files by embedding them inside OneNote documents. And how exactly are they going at this? And how do people find themselves victims here? So the victim part starts as usual. Like what we've seen in the past is you will see an email that contains a link pointing to an office document. Um, they were heavily abusing Microsoft Office doc files, XLS files, but Microsoft in July 2022 did an update where they disabled macros by default, right, for Office documents. And this, this made the approach not reliable for these guys when they were trying to attack these victims using malicious macro-enabled documents. This is where the TTPs remain the same. They, they identify the victims, they go after them, they will send an email with a link pointing to a document or the document attached to the email itself. There's some, some level of social engineering involved there. One example that I can give you actually for that starting point is a campaign where we saw a reply email team. So a reply email team is where they take an existing email thread and they will reply to that thread and attach this malicious document. So one of the user's account obviously is compromised at that point, but now they're trying to establish persistence into the end machine as well. So this is where OneNote is now becoming the go-to uh, mechanism for distributing this malware because uh, uh, the security mechanism that got uh, updated in July breaks the attack chain for Office documents. So they're now using OneNote uh, to achieve similar results uh, where they will have scripts like CHM, HTA, JavaScript, uh, VBS, which is Visual Basic Scripts, uh, they can run these scripts by embedding them inside OneNote document. So, is this uh, the classic case of, of whack-a-mole here, where you know perhaps now Microsoft needs to take a look at uh, disabling this functionality by default? <laughs> yeah, I mean this. The, it, it is always uh, it is always the case. They will. They will continue to evolve. Security vendors will continue to evolve. And all these application vendors will also have to continue to evolve. There will be certain things that you will have to do as part of your proactive defenses. And then there are things that you will end up doing reactively when the other group identifies some loopholes. So again, in this case, uh, I mean, there are... Microsoft already acknowledged they're working on something to probably strengthen this area as well. But... Uh, there are existing policies that uh, can play a role as part of that proactive de defense that I was talking about. So you could configure a group policy, for example, to protect against malicious uh, Microsoft OneNote files. You could basically block embedded files in this OneNote altogether using mm -hmm. these group policies. Uh, again, uh, Dave, the, the flow is you get a phishing email. There is a OneNote attachment which has an embedded scripting file, which is where the damage starts. The document will open some decoy PDF file or document, or um, the user will not see what's going in the backend. But in the backend, that, that scripting file will download a DLL and lead to the actual um, end malware. So in this case, we have seen three different families already. Uh, when I say family, three different groups of families. So one is banker, malwares, another is stealer malwares, another is rat. 
Um, even prominent uh, groups like Imotet, Quackpot, they've all started leveraging OneNote uh, as a means to distribute the, the DLL files. All right. Well, the cat and mouse game continues. Uh, deep into Desai, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.